Amen. Good morning. Welcome to the Oasis. We're glad you're here this morning. Next Sunday, our 13th anniversary as a church. We hope you will be here to celebrate 13 years of what God has done and is continuing to do here at the Oasis Church in Gilbert, Arizona. Before the message this morning, too, I want to give a plug for baptism. Saturday, April the 15th, we are having baptism. Baptism is really the first step of obedience after becoming a Christian. So if you've accepted Christ and you've never been baptized, I would encourage you to do so. The pattern in the New Testament is saved, baptized, and added to the church. So I would encourage you to be baptized. Second, if you were baptized, but you were baptized as an adult, but before you became a Christian, and you know that it would mean so much more to you now, I would encourage you to be rebaptized. I'm always rebaptizing people. In fact, you may be at a point in your life as a Christian where you've sort of come back to the Lord after being away from him, or you just want to use this baptism as sort of a way to rededicate and recommit your walk to the Lord. I would encourage you to do that. Sign up. And then I would also encourage any of you that were baptized as babies to be baptized. Baptized as a baby is not biblical baptism. Baptism in the New Testament is after you have come to know Christ as your Savior and given your heart to him, and obviously a baby can't do that. Also, I would encourage you to be baptized if you were sprinkled, because that's not biblical baptism. Biblical baptism is immersion. The word baptizo in the Greek language means to immerse. In fact, if you doubt my word for it, go to a Greek Orthodox church. They know what the word baptizo means, and they baptize by immersion. Okay? That's the way Jesus was baptized. So there's many different reasons to take the opportunity to be baptized in a couple of weeks. I would encourage you to do so for any and all of those reasons. And then one other thing before the message today. This is going to be emotional, I'm just telling you. This is a heavy passage of Scripture, maybe one of the most heavy in all the Word of God. This, there's a lot in this passage of Scripture. And you and I have one of two choices. We can sort of keep this passage at arm's length and put up those walls or keep those walls up around our heart and not really let it get to us and penetrate. Or we can make ourselves vulnerable today to the Lord. And we can take down all of those walls around our heart and our emotions and we can let this passage hit us like a wave. I want to encourage you to do that. As, as maybe difficult as that may be for some of you, as hard as that may be for some of you, we've all got to let the reality of what Jesus talks about in this passage hit us. We just do. 
And let's be reminded that this is Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, who is sharing these words with us this morning that were recorded in the Gospel of Luke. There is no one who loves us more than him. And yet there's no one who realizes that we need to hear these things as hard as they may be than him as well. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19 this morning. Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 19. This is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Why does Jesus share this story at this time? Well, last week, we saw that he began to really draw those who are listening to him to an understanding that they need to live their earthly life in light of eternity. They need to make friends with how they even use their worldly wealth so that they can be welcomed into the eternal homes of others. And he wanted them to begin to, again, wrap their minds around the fact that this life is not all there is and that eternity is coming. And then right after that, in order to really enforce and impress upon his listeners this point and the gravity of the reality of eternity, he shares a story with them. And this story is unlike any other story in the Bible for a couple of reasons. One, it is not a parable. This story really happened. Jesus never used proper names in a parable. Here he uses the name of literally a human being that once lived on this earth. And I believe that this truth that is contained in this passage of Scripture was so important for God to reveal to human beings that he allowed something unprecedented in history. He allowed, at one time in history, communication between heaven and hell. Never happened before, probably will never happen again. But he does this in order to reveal to us what it is on the other side of death whether that destination for some are hell or whether that destination for some is heaven, Jesus wanted everyone to know because many times as human beings were like, well, I wish I knew what that was like. What is it past death? He tells us what it is in this passage of Scripture. And he doesn't give us all the details of what heaven and hell are like, but enough. What we need to know. What we need to know. You see, he's sharing this because the religious leaders of Israel, the Pharisees, have some very warped values. They're all about earthly things and temporal things and physical things. And they live their life not really giving any thought for eternity. In fact, Jesus has found a lot of people while he's been here on earth like that. They live their lives every day without really giving any thought for eternity. What drives this passage? This passage is driven by two different people 
who have two different sets of earthly circumstances and will have in eternity two very different destinies. Now, before I share this passage with all of us and we go down through this passage this morning, let me again say this. This passage is not about money, and this passage is not about God being against those who have things and who have money. You will clearly see in this passage that the rich man simply has lived for himself without sharing or blessing anyone else with the resources that he's been given, and he certainly has not lived with any light of eternity in mind. That's why Jesus gives such great contrasts here, because he wants us to see, too, that eternity can be a time where a great reversal is going to take place. And he wants us to keep that in mind as well. So would you follow along with me as I read, beginning in Luke 16, Verse 19, Jesus says there was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. But at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus whose body was covered with sores, who longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. In addition, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried by the angel to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, as he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far off with Lazarus at his side. So he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to tip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in anguish in this fire. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus likewise bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us so that those who want to cross over from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. So the rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers to warn them so that they don't come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. They must respond to them. Then the rich man said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He replied to to him, if they do not respond to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. We are introduced here by Jesus to these two men. Two men who have two very different circumstances in life. You've got this rich man who has everything the world would want. I mean, he's got it all. And it is also a great reminder to us that we can take all that we have for granted and not realize how blessed we are. Then on the other side, you have this very poor man. And notice that in this life, they live in close proximity to each other because Jesus said that the poor man literally begged at the gate of the rich man. So they lived very close to each other. And yet their circumstances within their life were very, very far apart. And obviously the rich man really had no care for the poor man while he was living on earth. He didn't share anything with him, didn't try to meet any needs or whatever. He pretty much just lived for himself. A sad existence 
if you will, for this poor man and a seemingly, you know, idyllic existence for the rich man. Many people on this earth would say, well, if I've got a choice, I'm going with the rich guy. He's got it made. I don't want anything to do with the life that that poor man had to endure all his life. But then in verse 22, death is the equalizer of all human beings. And the Bible says not only did the poor man die, but the rich man died as well. Because death is an appointment for every human being. The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. Yes, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, but that all human beings will die because we are all sinners. And death has come through sin. And even for those of us who have chosen to follow Christ, we've got to lay aside these physical bodies in order to inherit glory, for flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So all of us have to die. There's not a one of us here this morning or who's watching by live stream who will escape death. The only generation the Bible talks about who will not die is that generation of Christians who are alive when Jesus Christ comes in the rapture. That is the only people who will never experience physical death, who will go into eternity without going through the gateway of death. But for every other human being, you and I have to go through that gate. We have to die. Are we living in light of our mortality? Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to consider our mortality so that we might live wisely, so that we might live for what really matters, what's going to count a million years from now. Are we living in light of eternity? Not to dwell on death, and we certainly, especially as Christians, should never fear death because Jesus has come to conquer the fear of death in our lives. Death is simply us moving from here to there, if anyone is absent from the body, Paul said we are then present with the Lord. Even while Jesus was being crucified on the cross and that one thief on one side of him placed his faith in Jesus, Jesus said, after he said, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So there's no reason for us who know where we're going after we die to fear death. But notice something. Each of these two men ended up in a different place. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, another way of saying paradise or heaven. But the rich man died and was buried. And he lifted up his eyes, verse 23, in hell. According to the word of God, there's only two eternal destinations for every human being. There is no purgatory. There is no second chances once you and I have crossed over from this life to that life. It's just one of two places. It's either heaven or hell. That's the only 
two places where every human being will spend eternity. And you and I, during this life, have opportunity after opportunity to make a choice for Christ and for heaven. Because heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And you and I can't wait until we die in order to make that choice. That choice must be made now. In fact, the Bible always encourages us, today must be the day of your salvation because no human being has a promise of tomorrow. Today might be the last day you and I have on this earth. We don't know when we're going to die. And we could die on our way home from church today. I've shared with you many times, I preach to people on Sunday and have done their funeral by the following Sunday. But we must make that choice because we have to understand there is an eternity that is coming and we're only going to have one of two places to spend eternity, either heaven or hell. And you won't hear a lot about hell today because hell's not a popular subject. And you will go to church after church and never hear about the subject of hell because it makes people uncomfortable. I get that. It makes me uncomfortable. But Jesus is saying we can't deny the reality of it In fact, if you track what Jesus taught about heaven and hell, you will find in the New Testament that Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. Because Jesus wants us to understand that that reality is very real. It is out there. And many people today, while you and I are sitting in the comfort of this auditorium or you're watching from your homes today, there are many people in torment in hell right now throughout all of history. Hell is a painful place. Notice it says in verse 23, Jesus says he's in torment. Hell is filled with tortured souls. Why? Because God is not there in any way. And anything about God is not there in any way. That's the way they wanted it. It's not that they go to hell or any of of, of any human beings go to hell because God doesn't love them or doesn't want them to go to heaven. Every human being who ends up in hell ends up in hell because they chose to go there. Because they rejected the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord and the love that accompanies that free gift. They basically said, no, I don't want God. So God says, fine, I won't force myself upon you. If that's what you want, you don't want me. You don't want to live an eternity with me and fellowship with me, loving me and having a relationship with me and serving me and worshiping. If you don't want that, fine, I'll give you what you want. But make no mistake about it, an eternity without God is a torturous existence because there is nothing good in hell and nothing good that these folks in hell or who will end up in hell will ever experience because apart from God, there is nothing worthwhile. And they will be in 
spiritual, emotional, and physical pain for all of eternity. Why eternity? Because they might be existing in a different place, but they're the same person that they were here on earth. They don't want any more of God in hell than they wanted him on earth. And so God respects that and says, fine, you don't want me? You don't want a relationship with me? Then you can spend all of eternity without me. The rich man, again, I believe in an unprecedented way, God allowed this one time in history for communication to go back and forth between heaven and hell, again, to make this point. And the rich man looked up and saw Abraham far off with Lazarus at his side. He calls out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to tip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in anguish in this fire. I'm experiencing pain, deep, emotional, physical, and spiritual pain. Again, the rich man no longer is having it like he did on earth. A great reversal has happened. All that money, all that stuff means nothing in eternity. He didn't take it with him. He can't enjoy it. Everything that this man lived for has now slipped through his fingers. And everything he thought his existence was all about is gone and gone forever. He will never experience anything worthwhile because nothing worthwhile can be experienced apart from God. But notice something. He's the same person. Did you notice how he's speaking about Lazarus, the poor man? He still looks at him as less than him. He still looks at him as his servant. He says, hey, Abraham. And notice something else. He doesn't ask Abraham to get him out of this place, does he? He doesn't say, I don't want to be here any longer. He doesn't say, I want to be where you are. He doesn't say that because he really doesn't want that. He doesn't want God. He doesn't want heaven, you see. And that's something that even we as human beings, we sometimes have a hard time coming to grips with is that those who will end up in hell actually don't want to be anywhere different because the only alternative is heaven with God for all of eternity and they don't want him. But what he does say is, hey, send that guy who's my servant down here and let him bring me some relief. He's still sort of looking down his nose at the poor man, Lazarus, thinking that somehow he's still his errand boy if you will. But Abraham said, child, verse 25, and don't miss this next word. This is huge. Remember. Remember that in your lifetime you received a lot of good stuff and Lazarus, not so much. Why do I want us to note that word remember? Because it reminds us that there will be memory of our lives in eternity. Think about that. Because people ask me this all the time. Will we remember our life on earth when we get to heaven or hell? You absolutely will. 
And this man will remember all those opportunities he had to place his faith in God, and he didn't take them. He will remember all that he lived for and saw it slip through his fingers. All that he thought he was, how high and mighty and, and important and all of this that he was, and now forever in eternity, it means absolutely nothing. It hasn't gotten him anywhere. That's part of the torture. But I want to mention this to us as Christians as well. When we get to heaven, we will also have memory of this life, which is why I believe the Bible teaches that at least for a time, Jesus is going to personally minister to each of us and bring healing and resolution to some things in our life because it says he will wipe away every tear from our eyes because I think there will be tears shed even for Christians in eternity when we remember some of the things of our life. Now, it won't be a eternity remembering those things. I think, again, through the ministry of Jesus Christ, we will be able to pack those things away properly, deal with them healthily, maybe be like we've never done before, be able to resolve things and, and, and deal with the hurts and all of that and the pain of this life and be able to move on and enjoy eternity. But when we first get there, there will be memory of our earthly life, and there's going to be some things that you and I have to deal with with Jesus because we're going to remember things. In fact, mark it down. When all of us get to heaven or hell one day, every last one of us is going to remember March 26, 2023, right here. We will remember this day. And how did we respond to what God was saying to us and doing in this moment? We will remember this. But notice verse 25. Two words, but now. Now a great reversal has taken place. And now this poor man who lived a really hard, difficult existence all his life on earth, guess what? He's comforted here and he's going to enjoy glory forever and ever. But you're going to be in anguish. It is a reminder to what I've shared with all of you at the Oasis for many years, periodically, that this life for us as Christians is the only hell we will ever know. And for those who reject Christ and reject God's gift of salvation through Christ, this good that they enjoy on this earth is the only heaven they will ever know because there's coming a great reversal. There's coming a but now. And God wants us to understand, even from Lazarus's perspective, that my life could be characterized by a lot of hardship throughout my whole life like his was. But that's not what I'm to set my hope upon. That's not how I'm to be defined God defines us and our existence by eternity, not by this short earthly life that we live. And too often, even as Christians, we put all of our hope and all of our dreams and everything on earthly things that will end one day rather than, again, living in light of eternity. 
That's why Paul said to the Romans, I consider that the sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed to us one day. Paul said to the Corinthians, this light and temporary and momentary suffering that you and I go through is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. That's why Peter says to set our hope completely not partially, not mostly, set our hope completely on the grace that will be brought to us when Jesus Christ returns. That's so important because so many Christians I run into today are still somehow setting their hope partially or in some way on earthly people and earthly circumstances and earthly things. If that was true, then Lazarus would have had no hope. Lazarus lived in the hope that one day Things were going to change, and not just change, but change forever. And that this life that he lived certainly was not the majority of what he was going to be known for. Because there was a forever that never ends out there. And I realize that none of us can truly wrap our minds around that. We as finite creatures who live in time all the time we can't even begin to think about something that never ends but that's part of what Jesus wants to get across because notice what he says next verse 26 besides all this a great chasm an unbridgeable space a grand canyon if you will for those of us in Arizona has been fixed between us so that those who want to cross over cannot do so Jesus is saying once we make a choice either to accept or reject God in this life and die, that destiny for eternity is fixed forever. There is no, oh, I, I don't want to be here. No, no, no. Once you and I go through the gateway of death and we go to eternity, to that destiny, whether it's heaven or hell, that is fixed forever. Ever. Jesus wants us to come to grips with that. We're not talking about a hundred years, and that's a long earthly life. We're talking about rea forever realities here. And think about it. How foolish, and, and this can't even begin to capture it. This is a poor illustration, but how foolish would we think someone is on earth? If they lived one day and not, wasn't willing to make any changes to that day that they lived, any different priorities, any sacrifices, that one day, and yet if they were willing to do that, it would set them up for the next hundred years of their existence on earth. If somebody wasn't willing to do that, we would say, you're such a fool because you're just living for that one day and you're not taking into account the hundred years after that one day that you still got to live and how that one day is going to make a difference in the next hundred years you live on earth. We would all say, well, that person's crazy. They're a fool. And yet how many human beings take their little earthly life, even if it's a hundred years, and they don't even think about living for eternity 
They don't even live in light of eternity at all. The whole time they're here, and yet here comes forever. And you think, you can't even compare 100 years to forever, and yet the best I could come up with is, well, let's at least use one day to 100 years. But that can't even do it. Because at least after 100 years, there's an end. There's no end to eternity. It never ends. You and I will either enjoy the blessing of heaven forever and ever, or those who reject God and his love for them will enjoy the anguish of hell forever. Because there's only one of two places. And they don't want God. So that's where they go. So the rich man, verse 27, says, well, then I beg you, send Lazarus again. He's my errand boy to my father's house, for I have five brothers. and I want to warn them. I want them to know that where I am at is real. It's not something to be joked about. It's not something to to be trifled with. This is a real place and I am here and I want my family members who are still living to know that think about how many people in eternity right now either in heaven or hell would do anything that they could if they could communicate and say to their family and friends don't make fun of eternity anymore don't make light of it it's real and I'm in one of these two places I guarantee you they would take that opportunity if they could but again As Jesus pointed out, there's a great chasm, an unbridgeable space. But then notice what Abraham's response is. Abraham says in verse 29, they have the Old Testament scriptures. They have Moses, the law, and the prophets. That's the way people used to describe the entire Old Testament. He says they have Moses and the prophets, the entire Old Testament. They must respond to them. Now, again, notice, the rich man's in a different place than he was on earth, but he's the same person, because guess what? He's arguing now with Abraham. He still thinks he knows better than Abraham. He says, no, Abraham, that's wrong. I'm telling you, if, if God allowed somebody to go back from the dead, then I guarantee you my family would, they'd listen, they'd turn around. And Abraham says, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Because we think as human beings, even as Christians, like if God did just some supernatural thing, if God just did a miracle, if God just raised the dead. Well, first of all, God did raise the dead. God raised his son. And people still don't believe. See, it's not in the miracles and the supernatural things that's going to bring faith. According to Abraham, it is the word of God. Faith comes through what is heard. And you and I, even as Christians sometimes, we don't realize the power that God has placed in his word. There is power here to change lives and to transform hearts. There is power in this book to bring people to salvation in Christ and to bring them into a relationship with God. There is power here, more power than a miracle, Abraham said. For then he says, if they do not respond, verse 31, to the word of God, they will not be persuaded or convinced even if someone rises from the dead. 
Abraham's saying basically to them, and he's saying this to us because now we have more than the Old Testament. We've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. We've got the entire word of God. So you know what Jesus would be saying to us? I need you to respond. I need you to let the power of my word change your thinking, change your heart, change your life. I need you to let the power in my word change the way you look at eternity. And, and help you to deal with the reality that's coming for every last one of us. There's only one of two places that's our eternal destiny, heaven or hell, and we all need to come to grips with it and let that wave of reality hit us. Because one day when we get to eternity... All of us are going to remember this day. We're going to remember that we had an opportunity to let the word of God change us in some way. And maybe there's some of you here or some of you who are watching and you have put off accepting Christ or you've continued to try to put up a wall around your heart for the love of God not to penetrate and you've held God at arm's length. Let the word of God take that arm down. Tear those walls down around your heart and let the love of God flood into your soul and accept Jesus today. Maybe some of you here, obviously, a message like this, the reality of this, might be stirring you more than it ever has to pray for your unsaved friends and family members and loved ones. Maybe to seize opportunities to witness to them or to be a clear example of a disciple of Christ. But I think there's a message here for us as Christians. And that is that maybe we have set our hope on earthly things rather than setting our hope completely on the grace that will be brought to us one day when Jesus returns. To not look at this earth as having any permanent answers for us. And that we can put our hope in anything or anyone on this earth. But we're looking beyond this life. Because for us as Christians, we can always say this, the best is yet to come. And that whatever God allows me to go through, however difficult it is, even like that dear Lazarus who lived his whole life as a beggar on earth, but now he's in glory forever. And I think if you and I had a chance even today to interview Lazarus, this guy, I think he would tell us, you know what? I'm not going to minimize it. It was, a, it was a hard life I lived. But compared to the glory now I get to enjoy for all of eternity and the fellowship I have with my God and the saints of all time and the angels and all that, said, I wouldn't trade it for anything because eternity is what really matters. And that's what should really matter to us. So how are we going to respond? By the way, this word respond that Jesus uses here doesn't just mean to, to listen to and pay attention to. It means to yield to, to surrender. I want you to keep that word in mind because it's exactly where we're going during our time of worship. It's a song about surrender. What do we need 
to be responding to right now as the Spirit of God is moving. And the Word of God that is living and powerful has gone out. Are we allowing it to hit us? Are we keeping it at arm's length? Don't keep the truth at arm's length. Let it hit you as uncomfortable, as hard, as difficult, as emotional as it might be. Let it all wash over you. Because as Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and if you truly embrace it, you'll be set free. Be free. That's what God wants to bring to each of us today, the freedom that only embracing his truth can bring. I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come. And while they're coming, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, this is, uh, you know that this was not easy. It was not easy for me to share. It's not easy for all of us to hear. But you love us enough to tell us truth. You love us enough that you always want us to live in reality. To not deny it, to not pretend like it's not there, like it's not coming. No, it, it is coming for all of us. So, Lord, I. I know you want us to respond. And I pray, Lord, that all of us, Lord, would just be so responsive to what you're saying to each of us right now, how you're speaking to us. Give us, Lord, that sense of urgency and commitment that we need to be living with every day. Help us, Lord, especially who name the name of Christ and claim to be a follower that, Lord, we keep eternity in mind every day of our life. And that we don't set our hope on earthly stuff, but only on the return of Jesus and what that will bring us. Let that be where our hope is. Help us, Lord, to be able through that hope to look past our present trials and difficulties and hardships, God, to what's coming because, Lord, this is the only hell we'll ever know. And, Lord, for those that might be here today or listening, God, if they've never come to seal a commitment to you in their heart, to reach out and, and embrace that love that you have for them, I pray, I pray, I pray, God, today would be the day of their salvation. Say yes to Jesus. You will never regret it, not only for the rest of your earthly life, but you will never regret it throughout all the days of eternity that's coming. God, help us. Help us, God. 
Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.